scripture this morning is from John 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure lard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who is later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As caper of the money bag, keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So ends the reading of the word. One of these uh, Sundays... On a, probably on a Sunday after Saturday where I've gone for a run and done a bunch of yard work out in my uh, acre property, I'm going to have you stay standing and I'm going to stay sitting the whole teaching time. But we're not going to do it today. But that's usually the way Jesus taught. He usually sat while other people stood at attention. I love the way we do that when we hear God's word uh, read. I appreciate that, Marty, this morning. I want to start this morning with a question. It was a question that uh, my older son and I were kicking around last night, uh, kind of late at, at night. It was one of those times where Josh came in where I was finishing up my preparation for the sermon. And the question I want you to be pondering throughout the message is this. What do you want to be remembered for? What acts do you want to be remembered for? And how often do you do those things that you want your loved ones, family members, friends to remember you for? And a caveat to that question is how is what you want to be remembered for, how is that going to point to Jesus beyond yourself and ultimately to him in a way that will transcend you and go well beyond your life? Deep questions. What do you want to be remembered for? I love those kind of family moments where you just, you know you're making a family memory. Last night was a fun one. Uh, We were playing ping pong last night. The boys made it sound like they could take down mom and dad rather easily in ping pong, and we won. I blasted We Are the Champions by Queen as we went inside, proclaiming mom and dad had kept the crown for one more night. It's soon going to be lost. The boys are getting better and better, but at least for one night. Mom and dad were still the champions at ping pong. Sometimes you know you're making family memories even as you're making them. But we also know that life is much more than that. 
we want to be remembered for more than that. And it's not that as followers of Jesus, we want to be remembered, but we want Jesus to be remembered and thought of in and through the way we live our lives, in and through the way we point to his death and his resurrection. As we are on the precipice of Lent, and we want to invite you to be here at Ash Wednesday on Wednesday night, special worship service, we get to share a meal together and then enter into worship. This is a wonderful passage to think about what Lent is all about, because Lent is all about sacrifice, it's all about preparing, it's all about dedicating ourselves to Jesus and his death and resurrection and the centrality of that for us and for our very lives. And that's what this passage is all about. Pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus through various people, the way they respond to Jesus' actions. If we recall, last week we saw this amazing action. Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. We're told that as a result of that action and bringing Lazarus back from from death after four days in the grave, that there were two responses taking place. People were coming to believe this person has power and beyond the power of prophets beyond power that was just one among many he had a unique power and they're starting to percolate more and more the thought that this could be the messiah but there's also a reaction taking place where the religious leaders and others are realizing who jesus is or at least in and through his actions their place in society And their teachings and their leadership over the people is starting to come under question. The religious leaders aren't infusing life and supporting life among the people. Jesus is, and they're seeing their influence and their authority kind of wane or shift as a result. There's an impending crisis taking place. What we see in between was Jesus has retreated with his disciples to Ephraim, And now he has returned to Bethany. And this now begins Jesus' final march on Jerusalem. He chooses to break his journey to Jerusalem and the coming Passover celebration by visiting his friends in Bethany once more. The scene of the supreme act of vindication by the Father. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. And Lazarus is there as proof of it. And now Jesus receives this act of encouragement, an act of devotion by Mary that will also point to the way to Jesus' death and resurrection. And so in this scene, through the different people, we see various responses to Jesus' actions. And we see it all pointing to the reality that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 20, verses 18 to 19, that the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. What Jesus does for Lazarus, he will accomplish, the Father will accomplish through him in raising Jesus from the dead, all pointing to the power he has to raise us from from death and bring us to new life. In chapter 12 of John, then, there's a crisis of Jesus' ministry that's preceding its conclusion. As previously noted, there's hostility intensifying because the religious leaders had been unable to entangle Jesus in a compromising dilemma or defeat him in public debate, debate. And they had tried and tried and tried. In spite of the decline of his popularity, 
because Jesus refused to become involved in a political coup or because of his teaching was obscure at time to certain listeners, he still retained a loyal group of disciples. And a large segment of the populace is growing in their interest. They regarded him with awe. And they still hoped that he might lead them out from Roman revolt, or lead them out in a revolt out from under Roman rule. They had political aspirations for Jesus, hoping that he would restore their prominence among the nations. For Jesus himself, this period was critical because as the forces are gaining for him, disciples are accumulating. There's also forces rising and crystallizing against him. And he must continue to discern the way forward to carry out the mission of God. He had been living that mission ever since he appeared and ever since he announced the presence of the kingdom of God. But now he comes upon its culmination. The moment for the fulfillment of the divine purpose for his life approached and the tension increased. Things were hitting ahead, we might say. And now Jesus coming towards Jerusalem He's embracing the ultimate fundamental act that he would be remembered for, his death on the cross and then his resurrection. So the crowds are accumulating. They're percolating in their interest that Jesus might be the Messiah. There's people coming from Galilee that saw him work in powerful ways there. There's people now that have heard that he brought somebody back from death. All these things are compounding. All these things are fermenting to lead to the central place of what Jesus will ultimately do. Here, Jesus, prior to his death and resurrection, is anointed by a woman who reflects love and devotion to him. But as we see, Lazarus, Martha, Mary, the crowds, the religious leaders, all of them are responding to what Jesus is about to do. And what this points us to is that that is the purpose for each of our lives. Have you ever thought about the fact that what we should be remembered for most is how we've pointed people to the death and resurrection of Jesus and then through the transformation that we're experiencing in our own lives? Sometimes it's even people's rejection of Jesus that points to Jesus. People's lives lived opposed from him in the mystery of God can actually glorify God because we, we know how much we need Jesus And we look around us and we see how much others need him as well. Paul, like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, each in their own way, had this sense that his life was meant to point to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So much so that he resolved to know nothing else. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4, Paul said, When I came to you, Church of Corinth, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your, that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. Each of us is meant to point people to the centrality of Jesus' death and resurrection. How do we see this in the passage? You can follow along these points in the outline, though they're going to be slightly different than how they appeared in the notes. 
The first is that we can be and we can see evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Where do we see that here? We see that in Lazarus' presence. This meal that is, sent, that is meant to celebrate Jesus is also a celebration of what he accomplished in Lazarus' life. I love the active present tense. Bethany, where Lazarus lived. He had lived. He had died, but now he lived there again. And Jesus is there and being celebrated for what he had accomplished in Lazarus' life. But if there was any question about Jesus' power to raise people from the dead, Lazarus is there. He's reclining at the meal. He is physical proof, living proof, that Jesus has the power to raise him from the dead and raise people from the dead. So much so that we already heard last week that the religious leaders have committed themselves not only to killing Jesus, but now they are ready and prepared to commit double homicide because they realize that they have to put Lazarus to death too because he is evidence of what Jesus has power to do. Lazarus is at the meal. If there's any question about Jesus' ability to raise people from the dead, they could look and they could see him. Lazarus is there with Mary and Martha, but he is the sign, in a way, and a seal of Jesus' reality and power to raise people to new life. Here, the dinner was given in Jesus' honor. He was the one that had accomplished the power and the, the ability to overcome death and bring resurrection. But as we read, Martha served while Lazarus was there, reclining among, at, the, at the table with him. Each person then in the story is described in a way that expressed his or her attitude towards Jesus through these specific actions. And each one was giving a type of evidence related to the death and resurrection of Jesus and their response to it. Lazarus is there. He could have gone into hiding. <laughs> he could have said, I don't want to be a, you know, a public spectacle he could have said, you know what, uh, you know, I, I, this occurred for me, but, but I don't really want to announce it or reflect what Jesus had done. He could have hidden his own testimony to Jesus' power. But here he is, at this meal, in public, in a way, evidence himself of Jesus' power. But think about Martha and Mary, too. Here's Martha doing what Martha always did. She exercised her her gift of hospitality. She had done it once before. Recall the story where Martha and Mary, Jesus is in their house, and Martha was preparing a meal, and Mary's just sitting there kind of worshiping Jesus and at his feet, and Martha says, Lord, tell Mary to, like, get to work here. And at that time, Jesus said, leave her alone. She's here to worship. She's doing what's most important. Well, here's Martha again, reflecting her gift of hospitality. She's the one making the meal. She's not discredited for that. In fact, she seems to be celebrated for it. And what I want to tell you is each time you exercise the gift of hospitality, each time you celebrate your passion for making people feel welcome at a meal or another place, you are evidence of Jesus' resurrection power as well. You're giving people a welcome who may not have been welcome in some time. You're inviting somebody into your home and that person may not have been invited into somebody's home for some time. 
Martha was providing her own evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And here's Mary doing what Mary always did. Mary, somebody who would have shown up to Pastor Greg's solitude and silence retreat yesterday. She's somebody who just loved being at Jesus' feet, loved worshiping him. She had earlier just sat at his feet and received his teaching, and now here she is at and uh, celebrating his presence and, and, and anointing his feet. Ultimately, for burial, we're going to hear from Jesus. But whether she knows that or not, what she knows is that she wants to offer what is most precious to her because God has offered to her what is most precious to him in sending Jesus to live among us and to ultimately die his death on the cross. Each character here in the story presents evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Each one, in a way, is celebrating their passion and practicing the presence of God through service, through worship, or just simply being there, showing up as evidence of the resurrection in physical form. You've heard the phrase, nine-tenths of life is about showing up. And sometimes that's it. You witness to the evidence and the resurrection of Jesus just by your physical presence. Maybe you do that by serving as one of our uh, welcome team members. You're a Connect team member and you're in there in the lobby each and every Sunday. Somebody hasn't been to church here in years. And they walk in the doors and they see a familiar face. Friends, you're evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. When you provide a meal, when you show up with a meal at somebody's home as a deacon or as a caregiver in some way, all those ways are ways we celebrate that he's alive and well and at work in us. The first point of the passage is we can reflect evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The second point is that we can reflect devotion to the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's here in the midst of the evidence of Jesus' power over death and ability to bring resurrection that we see the response of love's extravagance in Mary anointing Jesus for burial. In the passage again, it says, Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. My hair is not long enough to wipe Jesus' feet like uh, Mary's was, but she unbound her hair, we're going to talk about that, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled, filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The ointment here, perfume, was made from an aromatic herb that was found and developed in the mountains of India, and it was imported in alabaster jars. This expensive imported item carried such value that people used it for investment purposes, much like somebody might invest in gold today. This pure nard was of such great value, we are told in verse 5 that it was worth 300 denarii, the equivalent of a year's wages of a working person. Could you imagine having one item that was worth in value of the entire year's worth of work that you had invested, and you're going to spill it out. You're going to just pour it out in a one-time act because you are so devoted to Jesus, you would give what you most prize to celebrate his death and resurrection. Mary gives what is most valuable to her uh, to celebrate what is most valuable to her. Jesus. 
You see, what is most valuable financially is nothing compared to her, the worth and value and the love of Jesus. So she's willing to pour out what is most financially valuable and worth to her to celebrate the one who ultimately will pour himself out in his sacrifice for her sins and the sins of the world. Mary was the one who above all loved Jesus. And here in her action we see a couple things about love. We see love's extravagance. There are times sometimes in my love for my bride that I sort of calculate what I should get as a gift to her. Well, you know, uh, it's Valentine's Day, about $25 worth of something that I get for her. And every now and then I wake up and I think, idiot, just go in big. Go all in on this one and get the ring at the jewelry store. Buy the flowers. Do whatever it is to show that you're not calculated in your love. You want to express extravagant love. You want to go above and beyond because your love for that person can't be calculated in a certain amount of money. It goes beyond. And that's what Mary does here. Pouring out what she has, again, of most financial worth in an extravagant expression, going all in, to show that she loves Jesus. Mary took the most precious thing she possessed and spent it all on Jesus. Love doesn't nicely calculate costs. It doesn't measure things out. It just gives. And it gives above and beyond because that's worth giving to the one who decided you were worth giving for. Think if Jesus had calculated his love for you. Wouldn't have died on the cross for you. Might have left heaven, come to earth, shown up. But he wouldn't have poured out himself in love for you if he was calculating what you were worth. But you are of such worth and value to him that he wouldn't calculate. He would just give at the ultimate cost to himself in his agonizing death on the cross. Friends, love is meant to be extravagant And God's love for you was ultimately expressed in its extravagance in Jesus' death. Our devotion to Jesus is never going to match up to his devotion to us. As Randy Alcorn once said, you can't outgive God because he already gave what is most worth and value to himself, his son, for you. But we can devote ourselves to God. We can humble ourselves like Mary and sacrifice ourselves giving of our time, giving of our energy, giving of our resources in order to let Jesus know and let others know that his death and resurrection matters to us. That we recognize the cost that he paid for us and we become willing to devote ourselves to him. There's something else about love here. John has it in the sentence. The house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. This act of devotion was remembered still today. Jesus would say that wherever the gospel is preached, what she did will be remembered. Love is meant to be extravagant, and love is meant to fill lives with hope. This isn't meant to be somebody who just fills the room because you're extremely extroverted. This is somebody who is meant to point to Jesus in all things. Mary devoted herself to Jesus. She gave this 
great gift so that what Jesus' worth and value is could be seen to her. She wanted to be remembered for Jesus. She didn't want to be remembered for her own act. She wanted to be remembered as somebody who loved Jesus and was willing to give her all for him. Our devotion to Jesus is meant to be reflected again in acts of service and in worship and ultimately in ways that go beyond ourselves, that transcend ourselves, that don't point people to us but point to Jesus beyond us. Third, we see preparation for the death and resurrection of Jesus. When Mary poured out this extravagant gift and act of love, we are told that Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was going to betray him, spoke up. Why wasn't this ointment sold, he said? It could fetch a year's worth of wages. You could have given it to the poor, he cried. The value of the perfume was indeed enormous, equivalent again to an annual year's salary. And where there's poverty in, in their society that day, Judas is right, it could have been given to support the poor. But Jesus defends Mary's action and says, the poor are always with you. You could give to them any day you want. But she gave this action. She gave this gift. She poured out this perfume to signify that I'm going to die soon and I will be buried. And ultimately, we know that Jesus' burial would be rather rushed. Joseph of Arimathea and they, they, they would take care of the burial. They would probably put some spice. But we know that would be a rushed act on the, leading, into the, leading into the Sabbath on a Good Friday. And so Jesus is saying, the time is now to prepare. To prepare me for my impending death and burial. Did Mary know that when she was pouring out the perfume, that precious nard? I don't think so. She just knew that she wanted to express the worth and value of Jesus. She wanted to express her devotion to him. But little did she know that she was ultimately preparing him for his burial. And little did Judas know that his defense, his, his questioning of this action would ultimately be preparing for his betrayal of Jesus. We're told that Judas used to help himself to the money bag. We don't know why Judas exactly was entrusted with the money of the disciples, but we could bet that Jesus knew about it. And we could bet that Judas' betrayal of Jesus wasn't just a one-time act that was a complete juxtaposition from the rest of his life. No. Just as Martha was somebody who served, just as Mary was somebody who was worshipped, Judas was somebody who the seeds of betrayal was being formed in his heart and life in relation to Jesus' death and resurrection. And it was probably because Judas could see that Jesus' mission was leading elsewhere than what he wanted. Jesus' life... And his messiahship was going to be reflected in his death and resurrection, not in leading a political revolt. And in his disappointment, Judas becomes increasingly reactive to the death of Jesus and increasingly reflective of his own desire, his own desire to meet his own needs in and through money. Notice that as Judas 
reacts against this gift of extravagance and said it should have been given to the poor, Judas is going to turn around here rather quickly and say, I'll I'll give Jesus over to you for a certain amount of money. Money was a root issue in his life. Remember that money isn't evil, but money can be the root of evil for sure, right? We know our giving is reflective of our hearts. Jesus is very clear about that. And we see Mary giving her all for Jesus as a reflection of her heart, giving of what is most valuable to her, her most prized possession to Jesus. And we see Judas reacting against that. We know well that our pocketbooks reflect the attitudes of our hearts towards our faith and our belief and our trust in Jesus. And I am amazed again and again at the extravagant nature of the giving of this congregation giving well and beyond expectation in this past year and continuing to give. Our heart's desire is to align our finances with our hearts. Our heart's desire is to align our whole lives with Jesus' death and resurrection, making sure that people know that that is of what is most worth and value to us, that what he did for us is something we treasure because we recognize how costly it was to him. Fourth, we do see opposition to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Even as there's growing devotion on the part of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in his resurrected presence, we see the mounting opposition of religious leaders. Why? Because the priestly class was mainly made up of Sadducees, and the Sadducees did not believe in the death and did not believe in resurrection. They believed that this life was all there is. When you are in power, your tendency is to want to hold on to the way things are, right? And here's Lazarus, proof that somebody could be raised from the dead. The Sadducees become reactive to the power of Jesus to overcome death and bring about resurrection. And they are the ones that now realize we're not only going to have to put Jesus to death if we want to retain our place of power and privilege, we're now going to have to put Lazarus to death. Again, they're prepared for double homicide, not just single homicide. There's opposition to Jesus' death and resurrection. But lastly, we see the path being laid to belief. The statement is made because and on account of him, Lazarus, in his resurrection, many Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Friends, John's gospel is all about leading you to a place of belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's the fundamental question we all must look at and wrestle with. How do we respond to it? And back to our original question, what are you going to be remembered for, and how does that relate to the death and resurrection of Jesus? Again, that late night conversation last night, I asked my son, what do you want to be remembered for? He said, I want to be remembered for devotion to Jesus. I want her to be remembered for following him. And I want her to be remembered for doing something for the kingdom of God. Those are pretty good answers. Inspired not by him, but I trust by God's work in his life. And the good news is we can each be inspired to point to the death and resurrection of Jesus, whether that's through an act of service, whether that's through your worship, whether that's through your giving, whether that's through your engagement and mission. As we wrap up this message, I want to invite you to consider some next steps. The question again, in what ways are you currently reflecting 
love for Jesus by pointing to his death and resurrection. In other words, what do you want to be remembered for and how does that relate to Jesus? And I want to present a couple of opportunities. One, it's worship. Come back on Wednesday night. Come for dinner at 5. Come for worship at 6. Because an Ash Wednesday service is all about our relationship to the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why we do it. Anointing or being uh, given the ashes on your forehead and the shape of a cross is that sense of identification with Jesus' death. In our time of worship, we'll also have a time where you can be prayed for by members of our worship prayer team and have others anoint your hands with oil as a sign and seal of your commitment to service to Jesus. Come for worship. Continue to engage in devotion. You will notice that we're not giving you another uh, Lenten devotional like we often do during Lent because we realize that would just be adding to what we've already encouraged you to do. What have we encouraged you to do? Read through the Bible. Right now we're in Luke. Soon we're going to be in John. And even if you engage in the New Testament portions of those Bible readings listed in the bulletin, you'll get through the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John as we lead up to Easter. Third, find a way to celebrate your passions, just as Mary and Martha did. In the uh, lobby outside, you'll find some cards that are just simply called Celebrating Your Passions. We encourage you to pick up one of those cards if you haven't done so already. Fill it out for us, and we will help you align your passions with opportunities to serve in the life of the church or the community. Finally, think about how you might engage in mission. At this point in your journey of faith, you might not be somebody who's going or willing to go to Mexico and sleep in a tent for a week. I get it. But you can help somebody go. You can come and enjoy a meal next Sunday, but also give in the auction so that somebody else can go and not have a financial burden in doing so. Or you can pray for those people. You see, we all have a place to play in response to the death and resurrection of Jesus, whether it's in our worship, in our devotion, finding our gifts for service, or helping engage in God's mission. But as a church that is seeking to be on the move and to be with Jesus in his mission and ministry, my hope and prayer is that we all find a place to point to Jesus' death and resurrection and the power it has to transform our own lives. Amen. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ, my living Lord
Cry. 